Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 499, with Chef Sean Edmondstone. I think, you know, um, being able to, to learn from your mistakes is the biggest thing. Um, if you don't learn from it, you know, you're going to do it again. But being able to take and understand and go through what happened and, and what the issues were and how we take and correct that um, offers such a great experience. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. To make it as a restaurateur today, you have to show your people you care. So demonstrate to your team that you are committed to providing a workplace that operates with the highest ethical standards by signing up for a subscription to restaurantethics.com. Ethics Suite offers the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easy, and securely from any device with an internet connection. One last time, that's restaurantethics.com. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef, Sean Edmondstone. Sean, are you feeling unstoppable today? I think today's a great day to feel unstoppable. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, one of the way to start a rainy day than uh, to get right into it. All right, let's do this then. Uh, hailing from Thurnbury, Thurnbury, Ontario, Chef Sean Edmondson earned his Red Seal graduate from George Brown School of Hospitality and Culinary Arts in 2005. Edmondson went on to Toronto's Pangea Restaurant as well as the Windsor Arms Hotel. Today, Edmondson has found his way back to Thurnbury. Also serves as executive chef owner of Bruce Wine Bar and Kitchen as well as Crow Bar and Variety in Collingwood. Uh, obviously, we're just scraping the surface. We're, I can't wait to dive into your story to find out who you are, what your values are, how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? I think, you know, uh, to take in and be in a hospitality industry and being able to uh, go through and connect with farmers and, uh, you know, producers from down the road is a great way to take and develop a community. Um, you know, it, the hospitality industry, uh, you know, is widely based on community uh, and, and what better way to take and be in the heart of uh, kind of Ontario's apple growing and, uh, and farmlands, being able to really uh, tap into that. Awesome. So you, your story sounds like it starts in hospitality around 2000, I'm assuming three or were you working in restaurants before this or did you just drive, dive straight into culinary school? Kind of paint that picture for us. So I started dishwashing uh, at a local restaurant uh, in 93. Oh, okay. Okay. So you've been in this um, industry for going way back. Yeah. I, uh, I started basically super young. Um, you know, I spent most of my summers uh, helping my one grandfather uh, on his kind of market farm. And then on the other side of my uh, grandparents uh, at his apron, uh, so beekeeping. Uh, and that, so, I mean, food always kind of, uh, ran deep, uh, that way. Um, I had an opportunity when, uh, I was uh, 13 to, to kind of start as a dishwasher, uh, as just part-time and, uh, and really dove into it from there. Um, you know, I, I did dishwashing for about a year and, 
and then found myself moving over to the fryers and kind of making salad. Um, you know, I never really left the industry. I found myself, you know, looking for more hospitality, uh, kind of based jobs, uh, and really even during high school, uh, going after hospitality based co-ops. And, uh, I was lucky enough to, to be at a high school where hospitality was offered as a class as well. So, uh, all of that kind of, uh, mixed together, cultivated, uh, you know, a, a passion for, uh, for the industry. Beautiful. So can you bring us to the moment where you really kind of fell in love? Can you think of a specific time where, uh, you were like, this is going to be the rest of my life. Like, is there a moment where you cut, where it kind of clicked for you? Truly, I don't remember the moment, <laughs> um, you know, I was not that kid at 16 years old that, uh, you know, was in his co-op placement and had his own knife roll, <laughs> you know, um, you know, everybody was like, what are you doing walking around with knives in your backpack? I'm like, well, I got to go to work after, um, <laughs> do that today. And, uh, there's going to be like a school lockdown. You're going to be careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a little different mentality then. Yeah. But, you know, um, it was, you know, just something that I really enjoyed. I really, uh, growing up, I had a whole bunch of allergies and that. So, uh, you know, food was always made around me. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, pre-bought or pre-packaged items. Uh, we didn't go out to restaurants a whole lot. Um, so we were always in the kitchen, you know, as kids, um, you know, and going and visiting our grandparents, we had pickling parties and jam parties and corn roasts and, you know, making pierogi parties and, you know, pigs on spits. And like, they were just great family kind of, uh, cookouts uh, and that and, and everybody was always involved there was always something to do because of that i think you know it, feeding large groups of people naturally kind of came okay um, and it was just something that kind of continued so let me ask you this question is there a time when you really started getting intentional about where you want to be starting to develop a vision of what you want to do where you want to end up I think, you know, 17, 18, uh, realizing that, I, you know, I was done high school um, and I was going to take and continue to cook, you know, um, getting that first kind of uh, chef de party job, taking and uh, and then kind of looking, you know, and wanting the sous chef job. Um, it, it was the responsibility and, you know, kind of playing Tetris and and that kind of organized chaos. Okay. Uh, I think a kitchen, you know, brings to, to kind of a mentality. Okay. Um, so reflecting back at that time, were you thinking about who you wanted to be with or who you wanted to work for? Or were you thinking like about intentional moves? Was there any strategy going on? Do you, can you reflect on that strategy for us now? Or just, you mentioned, think, you know, I, as a young cook, I wanted to take in and look at as many different aspects of the industry as possible. You know, uh, I came from a, a pub setting. Uh, I had worked at a Korean restaurant that did bulgogi and, and different types of uh, kind of uh, Korean-based dishes. Um, we had uh, been in a fine dining restaurant. Uh, I had done stuff for the Royal Winter Fair uh, on the large scale, serving a million people in 10 days. Um, 
you know, going to a restaurant that was 750 seats in Kitchener Waterloo and, and working there for two years and, and kind of really seeing those operations, um, getting as many different facets of uh, the industry under my belt, whether okay. that was the hotel, small kind of boutique stuff, doing, uh, you know, offsite caterings and parties and, and that. And then, you know, eventually uh, finding my way uh, in 2001, uh, to Pangea, um, and and really that's where that started was uh, was kind of leading down that road to at that time, uh, and I still think you know uh, it is gone, but it was one of the best restaurants in Toronto. Okay, so- uh, and was marketed that way. You were able to really see all the different facets of the industry uh, and gaining some really great experiences and picking up all that information. So out of high school, did you go to, you, you took some time to really get experience to, to sharpen your teeth, to really soak up the industry before investing in a culinary degree. Is that, is that right? Am I getting this timeline correctly? Yep. No, I, uh, I didn't actually go to school um, until, oh, it was 2001, 2002 um, is when I started school. And at that point I was already under uh, a formal apprenticeship. Okay. Uh, so I, I did uh, apprenticeship programs all the way through and, and really kind of continued to challenge myself uh, no matter where I went to gain skills. And I, I made sure that I was positioning myself um, in kitchens and that, that, that we're able to take and teach, not just uh, take and, and produce food. Okay, so uh, was, was that intentional or do you think that just happened? I mean, because that is a lesson right there to, to take jobs for what you're going to learn, not what you're going to make. Yeah, I think, you know, like that was definitely intentional. You know, uh, I wanted to be at places that allowed me to take and and really develop. Um, you know, through that, I, I was given some really great opportunities with chefs like Martin Coopery uh, and David Adji and, um, and that and working through those kind of bases. Um, we, we were making sausages, you know, he was like, Hey, you want to take and butcher down a whole pig? By all means, get it in, figure it out, have fun with it. Start making sausage, do dry cured stuff, make bacon, make pancetta, uh, take in, And if you want to start making your own prosciuttos, dive into that, you know, do as much research as possible. And here are the tools and I'll give you everything that I can in order to take and help you, uh, c- continue to cultivate that. All right, so real quick, zoom zoom up to a bird's eye view for me. Get get Ariel and kind of map out uh, the the key mentors, the key restaurants that most formed you. And then what we'll do is we'll go along the way and we'll identify what each one of these mentors, what each one of these restaurants taught you real quick. And then we'll kind of start to lead into when you started thinking about opening your own place and how, how you made that happen. So can you think of the, the biggest key mentors in your life real quick and like list them out for me? And then we'll roll through the, the big takeaways from these folks. I would say, uh, probably in 1994 when I was dishwashing and, uh, you know, Scott Jerry, uh, gave me the opportunity to, to take and, and get off, uh, that triple sink and, and hop on a deep fryer and, and the salad station and kind of learn from there. Um, you know, then Sue Tupi came along, uh, and who's a local potter and artist. And, uh, she was, had always played in kitchens, but it brought something completely different. Um, to the table as far as ingredients and just the way that she looked at flavor profiles and that very much an artist kind of uh 
set there. Let's um, let's slow this down a little bit because I want to go deeper. So you said it was Chef Scott, the first chef when you were younger. He taught you. He brought you off the sink and onto the line. Uh, what did you learn about how to be a mentor? What did you learn? What did he teach you about how to teach? How to to groom? Did, did you get any of that from him at this point, or were you not quite ready to be receptive to that kind of stuff? I think it was very much a uh, an old school mentality still. You okay. know, I can think of uh, you know things not to do. Yeah. Um, well, give me an example of something not to do. I think you know, like don't sit there and uh, just being super clear. I can remember you know going to New Year's Eve and as this super green cook. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of 15 at the time, and and you sit there and you say, strain something off. Uh, so that's what I did. And in the bottom of the colander is, uh, is the shrimp and lobster shells and all the liquids down the sink. Yeah. You know, that's some good not stuff. Really the, uh, yeah. the best kind of, uh, description. And maybe that was, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a point in, in making sure that, you know, when we're, uh, discussing things, especially with green cooks, uh, being green, yeah. clear. Yeah. Right. Because, uh, yeah, that was a little bit of a scramble. Uh, you know, 20 liters of, uh, of lobster stock down the sink. Oof. So, I mean, the lesson there, you know, is uh, you, you can't assume anything. There's no such thing as common sense, especially with new people in the kitchen. And you have to take the time to slow down to paint that picture for them. Uh, the next chef you mentioned was Sue. Uh, this was was this the next restaurant you worked in? Was this before you went to the same restaurant? Okay. Um, what had happened was it had changed owners and changed uh, kind of chefs at the same time. And, and I kind of uh, at that point, I stayed with the restaurant. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting. I thought what uh, they were doing was was taking and looking at uh, in a different way, uh, a little fresher look on uh, on on the restaurant and kind of uh, where you know she was doing uh, much more creative food, more uh, involved food. You know, she had uh, she had producers coming to the back door. She had people that you know even with just home gardens dropping off bags of herbs and that that they knew that they that she would love you know um and just her kind of uh her dedication to product uh was really interesting um you know really taking it sourcing out interesting stuff locally and uh and internationally but um you know really kind of uh like i said she's still in town she's uh, a local artist and that and, and food was just kind of one of her outlets but in that you know her ingredients were definitely her uh her paint box yeah so uh, i feel like a, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about up to this point has been a lot of the, the beginning learning about the food uh the culture of food uh the the value of food uh when you graduate in 2005 um now you're definitely you're, you're i'm assuming your objective is you know executive chef or owner someday uh were there any mentors you had that helped you become a better uh leader or groomed you for ownership uh can, can you think and reflect on anybody who really you admired during these times or maybe i'm skipping over somebody who we need to spend some time with uh who really helped mold you into who you are today you know i think um martin cooper was probably the biggest influence on me i was there for uh kind of uh three years and then left for two years and then came back for another uh kind of uh, almost four years. This was Pinchian. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, really kind of a, a great mentor that way and really allowed me to make my own mistakes. Uh, and then go back over and and help fix them and, and understand what happened. You know, taking a step back and reflecting during this time, uh, what do you think he was trying to do? Do you think he wanted you to? Was he? Did he see the mistake coming? Did he? Did he know what path you were going down? Was he trying to let you go through those mistakes so it would make a more a bigger impact with you? What do you think was going through his mind? I, I think you know. Um, being able to, to learn from your mistakes is the biggest thing. Um, if you don't learn from it, you know, you're going to do it again, but being able to take and understand and go through what happened and, and what the issues were and how we take and correct that, um, offers such a great experience. So when you made these, you know, sorry, sorry, did you, like, are you short? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, when you made these mistakes, uh, how did he react? How did he, what was that process like after the mistake? You know, depending on, on what it was, um, there might have been a little bit of contention. <laughs> uh, but a lot of the times, um, they were just dumb little mistakes um, and super easy to correct, but kind of uh, taking that um, and, and turning it into a lesson and turning it into something uh, much more useful. Than, than it just being uh, a low point during a service or a low point during the day, you know, understanding uh, why it happened and how to fix it for next you time. time you go don't get into that. And you would take the time to go through that with you Sorry. to really break it down. That's huge. Uh, all right. So um, moving on uh, at this, I'm curious when you're at Pangea at this point, what's your end game? Are you, are you hoping to one day, uh, be an owner or executive chef? Did you have a vision? Did you have a, a goal at this point of where you want to end up? You know, I think um, I knew I wanted something. What it was wasn't exactly clear yet. Um, you know, at, at the end of it, I actually had uh, had left the restaurant business um, in 2000. Uh, 10. Okay. Uh, and Jane and I, uh, I kind of said, okay, I, I need a break. This is all I've done for, for literally 15 years of my life, um, at 30 years old. Um, and it's literally all I've known. Uh, I didn't want to take and completely veer away from it, but I did take a step back and I went, okay, what are a couple things that I would like to expand on more? So I went uh, and applied to a couple different butcher shops uh, in the area, um, and that, and I got a job at a butcher shop that still was doing um, kind of breakdowns in that of of hind quarters, and uh, they were taking in and making you know ten different types of sausage and doing uh, broils and and taking in and really still getting involved with with the product as opposed to just being a meat cutter and, and bring product in that was already done. Um, at that time, um, you know, it, it was a good reflection uh, of what I wanted to take and do within the industry. I wanted to take a step back. I wanted to take and um, 
and kind of figure out what uh, I loved about restaurants. Can we backpedal? Wanted to be in restaurants. So what what you loved about restaurants and why you wanted to be in restaurants was that is that what that was? Yeah. So let's. I want to backpedal a little, and then we'll come back to what you resolved after this time and what your thoughts were after getting this time away. Was there a significant uh, moment, uh, something that happened, uh, a moment of just resentment or like what pushed you to the edge of where you needed to take a break? What, did you have a bad experience? Can you walk me through that? Well, I think, you know, the experience uh, that kind of pushed me to the end was, uh, was one that I think, you know, we still have issues with in the industry today. And I don't think, you know, um, is that it's a very transient business. Um, I think, you know, trying to keep people, um, engaged and, and that, and I think, you know, money's always a, uh, an issue with cooks, you know, um, I think in a lot of cases, uh, we get into an industry that we love and we have passion for and that, and the demands and that a lot of the time, uh, sometimes outweigh the reward, um, and you know it, it definitely puts some some physical and, and mental stresses on you um so you're it sounds think, like you almost got burnt out from the the you know getting new people in training them up having them leave getting new people in training them up having them leave uh, just like this constant uh you there's i can i can only imagine where you, you're operating at such a level you want to push the envelope but when you're putting all of your time and energy into molding and, and training and and babysitting uh I mean, am I making assumptions right now? Is this kind of my hitting the mark or is, is this one of the things that was getting at you? No, that's pretty much the mark. Okay. Um, you know, I have, we had 14 cooks, uh, at any given time, uh, three sous chefs, uh, two juniors, a chef de cuisine, three co-op students, two pastry cooks. So what do you think you is know, going uh, on in the industry where it's so transient? Why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, um, It's a you know a, a really interesting, and I think it's still a, you know um, a, a very uh, unseen part of the industry is you know the higher end the food. Uh, a lot of the people that work in those high end kitchens uh, are doing stages, or they're there for very little money uh, because they're there getting experience in that. But you know the amount of bodies that it takes to create. Um, at that level uh, generally means that, you know, you're there uh, because you want to learn. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, you know, uh, the wages and that the, the people see are generally much lower. Um, and it, it's really unfortunate. You know, I wish I could pay uh, even now, I wish I could pay all my cooks, you know, 20 bucks an hour or, or 25 bucks an hour. And, and have them all benefits and four day weeks and, and, and everything else. Um, fortunately, you know, a lot of the time that's not the reality. Yeah. Um, you know, we definitely have, uh, some things in the industry that we, you know, we're trying to correct. And I think customers, uh, as well, you know, at some point, uh, need to stop comparing, um, scratch restaurants to fast food. So what do you, you know? think the solution is? Um, I'm curious if you, if there was a solution that with one thing changed tomorrow, 
or two things change tomorrow that would make an impact that would change the way things are going right now, what would those changes be? Well, I think it would be interesting if people actually, you know, knew what the bottom lines were in restaurants. So a matter of educating the guests, in other words? Well, I think, you know, those educating the customer. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, like I get it uh, quite often that people are going, well, it's an $18 cheeseburger. And I go, yeah, but I'm also buying, you know, uh, organic grass fed beef from down the road. Um, you know, we're getting Ontario cheddar, we're getting great Ontario product. Uh, and there's actually people here at, you know, 9am prepping everything and, yeah. and, you know, producing no, food, the- not, you know, uh, me walking into the freezer, pulling out a box of burgers and throwing it on a grill. Yeah. Um, I think, it, you I know, think- it, it literally costs you know, $2 for your patty or a dollar 80 for your patty where it's like, Oh, look, that patty of grass fed beef costs you, you know, almost four bucks. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I think there is some hope. I do think people are increasingly becoming more cultured with the, the access to information, uh, the fragmentation of, uh, up, really, am I, <laughs> well, I was just saying, sorry, I'm in, I'm, so I'm going to paint a picture, uh, for the listeners at home right now. I'm in a closet, uh, sitting in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Uh, and, uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to have a spot on the road to do this remote interview, but, um, we don't have the best situation. So, uh, did you get any of what I just said there, chef? <laughs> I actually didn't. I missed that one. Okay. Well, uh, for what it's worth, the, the listeners can hear me because I'm coming in on a separate line. I'm getting you. So that's all that matters. Uh, so we're good. Thumbs up. Uh, but I, I was just basically saying, Chef, that I think that there are changes that are happening because people are getting the information. And I think that well, it's a slow but sure move in the right direction, hopefully. Did you get that? I'm gonna, Absolutely. I'm, I think you know, people are, are gonna more kill curious my video, than so what you, they ever have. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna kill my video right. for you. And uh, sorry, one second. Boom. All right, go for it. Say your thought. I think uh, you know people are are looking more and more uh, into what they're eating and where it's coming from. Uh, and because of that, you know, I think the the places that are transparent enough to uh, take and, and actually be out there and, and talk about where they're getting the product and, and really emphasize that like, Hey, it's from, you know, this farm down the road or it's from, you know, this producer. Um, and that uh, really are, are the people that are trying to develop a, a trust with, with the guest. Beautiful. So and, and really that clientele base. Awesome. So let's bring it back to where we, we stopped, where you said, you, you, you know, you got some time away from the mayhem, uh, took some time in a deli, uh, making sausage, breaking down uh, animals. Uh, and you did some reflection as to why you love this industry. Uh, and I can't remember the other answer. Uh, why you got into the industry and what you want to do. What did you, what was the resolve? Where did you end up after that time away? Um, oddly enough, you know, uh, my partner at the time, uh, got a job opportunity, uh, up kind of close to where, um, 
I grew up in that and I kind of uh, said, okay, hey, let's take it. And, and we moved up here um, back to the kind of Thornberry. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do at that time. You know, I, I thought about opening a catering company. I thought about, you know, uh, continuing with butchery, maybe at a, at a processing plant uh, for, for local farmers and that type of thing in the area. Um, and we were actually at a, uh, at an organic advocates uh, festival. I was helping a, a friend of mine out on his uh, station. Uh, he just happened to phone me kind of the week before and said, Hey, I've got this event coming up. I know that you've done it before. Um, would you mind coming to helping because I'm a little short staffed and I said, no problem. Um, and kind of uh, halfway through the festival, I bumped into some friends and that from Thornbury, this was down in Nobleton actually. So we're about an hour and 20 minutes away from Thornbury, which is um, kind of you know interesting to bump into friends so close to the city center um, from up here. Uh, and they said, Hey, we're, uh, we're looking at, at a space and, thinking about you know putting a little tiny uh wine bar in it um we should get together and chat and they, you know kind of a week went past i didn't really think a whole lot of it i was helping another uh buddy of mine out with some landscaping because uh, he was getting short staffed it was uh, getting at the end of the summer and a lot of his his summer staff was uh, heading back to school and so on and uh i grabbed a coffee one day and bumped into to Steve again and he said you got five minutes and uh, we went and we toured kind of the space at that point you know it was uh, it was literally just studs and insulation uh, the vapor barrier was up but there was no drywall there was no kitchen there were no walls uh, anything and and said you know this is kind of the space and, and this is what we're thinking this little kind of 30 seat uh, wine bar uh, that will do like you know cold riettes and uh, maybe a little bit of charcuterie and smoked fish and, and cheese boards and, and that type of thing. And um, it started getting me excited you know, just to <laughs> kind of uh, get me into uh, in the kitchens and that again and, and really do something that was down my kind of road uh, definitely down uh, the avenue that I had had always kind of wanted to go, which was um, scratch made food. Um, you know, I, I had just come from a place where, you know, we, we literally broke down a pig every other week uh, and did charcuterie. Uh, we did terrines, pâtés, uh, uh, traditional capicola, lomo. Um, we would make prosciuttos and pancetta and bacon and everything else. And, and there was nothing really like that up here. Um, so it, it kind of uh, relit the fire a little bit and, and then talked and, and that and went through uh, the little idea of the 30 seater kind of stayed that, but uh, the idea of the cold kitchen only uh, definitely left rather quickly. Uh, and when we opened, we opened with a, uh, a farm menu, whatever was available from farmers every week changed. We were open uh, three nights a week. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and, and we had a, a a great kind of starting clientele. Um, you know, we uh, Thornbury is an interesting place. We've got some 
fantastic kind of uh, people around us. Um, Shark McEwen and that have uh, a place literally five minutes away. Um, you know, you've got uh, Arlene Dickinson, who's got a place up here uh, as well. Um, you know, th- th- there's there's definitely, you know, a great clientele base around and they were looking for something more. You know, we instantly kind of got a, a really good following. Um, so if you said they were looking for later, you said they were looking for something more. What I missed that part. More in town, something okay. different, gotcha. something um, that wasn't just, you so, know, hey, here's a burger and fries or fish and chips or, you know, a, a simple steak and uh, and and rapini. So um, this is your first restaurant that you opened. You chefed in restaurants. You were in the scene for a long time, right? Uh, but what were some of the things that uh, you didn't expect? Some of the, the, the curveballs you got, some of the, the challenges you hit, some of the things that you can share with my listeners at home uh, and maybe give them a heads up, you know, do consider this because I didn't and I can save you a headache. I think, you know, uh, always when when uh, taking and designing and building kitchens, um, I've done uh, five different builds uh, over the course of kind of my career, uh, I've been contracted to take in and design and build kitchens as well, um, is over, over plan. You know, if, if you think that that's all the equipment that you're ever going to need, uh, or, or you're not giving yourself enough kind of room, um, to grow, you're kind of, you're not opening yourself up to enough possibilities of uh, expansion and growth. You know, if you only look at, at kind of what you think you're going to do and not what kind of go beyond that, you're limiting yourself before you even open the door. So is that what happened to you? Do you think you limited yourself? Well, I think we started small, you know, Um, and even with downstairs, you know, we started uh, and we worked within the space uh, that we had. You know, there really was no other where to go um, as far as space went. So when we opened downstairs a year later, um, I wish we would have still, and even after taking and helping other people do design and build and and that type of thing, I undershot the space a little bit. So you undershot uh, the space thinking that you could do more of the space you had and the reality of it is you could not. Correct. Yeah. Um, So my my 50-seat uh, kind of restaurant on a uh, on a busy Saturday in Thornbury uh, in the summer will do anywhere from 165 to 240 people and that doesn't include takeout yeah were you locked into the space with a, a long lease or something was there a reason why you couldn't uh, go to a new space with the same concept and kind of grow the brand organically over time um well, there's a couple of things. Uh, one, my business partners own the building. Uh, so, you know, it, it's pretty favorable to stay in a building that you'll. To, uh, there's really not a whole lot of uh, bigger spaces available in the area without completely kind of moving it. Um, but, but really, it was due to kind of limitations of the building and, and what we wanted to take and do. Okay. And um, as well, you know, we've got one piece of uh, equipment that would be uh, a little hard to move. Um, we've got a five foot 
hand-bricked uh, Neapolitan oven. Oh, yeah. Well, so, so you're still in that space in the state, uh, right? Requires a little bit more. You're still in that space today? We are still in that space. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and which location is this? I just want to make sure I'm, I'm painting the picture right. Because So this is Bruce Weimar. So okay. it's two stories. Uh, we are... 35 seats upstairs and 20 seats uh, downstairs. Um, I, I do like, I have to admit, I do like that you started small because I think a lot of people, when they get started, they, they start too big. Uh, and the overhead, the, uh, the 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 people, the everything that comes into uh, operating, the, you know, operating the restaurant, they, they, uh, they don't, they can't sustain long enough to, to develop the brand, to develop the, the clientele. Would you say that's, maybe something you protected yourself from by starting small? Like you, you were on the first floor the first year and then after that you expanded to the second floor. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, starting smaller, but making sure that you have the potential. You leave the door open. Gotcha. 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 Um, one other thing, I have the potential There's nothing wrong with, with building your brand over time. There's nothing wrong with taking and, and making sure that it's solid before you take and, and do your expansion. So just ask, your, I think the question is ask yourself, is there a ceiling? Is there a definite ceiling? And I'm going to, am I going to hit that ceiling too soon? Uh, you want to be able to scale, but you don't want to be able to scale to a certain point where you can't scale beyond that is what I'm gathering from this, this conversation. Correct. Uh, one other thing I drew from uh, this first restaurant that you developed is that you said you were open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, four days off or I mean, quote unquote off. I'm sure you're keeping busy. Um, how did you, how did you make that work? At that time, uh, before we moved downstairs, literally it was me uh, in the kitchen uh, creating kind of the farm menu, which was whatever was available uh, on a weekly basis. And then uh, we had, you know, one high school student as a dishwasher uh, that kind of helped out. Uh, so staff was super small. Uh, that in turn uh, kind of kept everything going as well. Uh, now in 2012, uh, when we expanded into the downstairs, um, and, and put in the, the wood oven and everything else, um, we did expand and, uh, we went to seven days a week. Okay. So what was the, what was the, uh, I guess, um, the strategy to doing three days a week? At that time, it was uh, it was literally to capitalize on uh, uh, on the clientele that was up here. Um, you know, Thornbury at one point had more restaurants per capita than anywhere else in Canada. Okay, uh, and then Blue Mountain uh, Inner West had uh, purchased Blue Mountain uh, kind of back in uh, in the late kind of two thousands. Uh, at that time. Um, a lot of the restaurants in the area started to, uh, to take and see a decline, uh, as more infrastructure was built, um, and more restaurants kind of were readily available, um, to kind of people coming up for seasonal kind of vacations, whether it was, uh, during ski season and, or, um, or kind of cottaging, um, people were, were definitely staying in uh, the Blue Mountain Village more than kind of going out to the smaller uh, kind of towns around. Um, so that in turn 
you know, changed a couple of things and changed some of the demographic uh, availability as well. Um, so by taking and staying small and, and kind of keeping the hours tight, we limited our staff, we limited um, what was available and, and really made it something um, really unique in the fact that it was like, hey, we're, the menu changes every week. There's only kind of three days to get it. When something's gone, it's gone. We'll have to take it and recreate a new dish. Um, and really had a, a great kind of cycle, right? Everybody had um, time out, everybody else had all the servers and everybody else had full-time jobs in that as well. Um, and it just kept, kept interest into what was going on. We would bring in uh, live music, um, you know, uh, on Fridays and Saturdays, um, and it's something we still do. we still bring in music um, at Bruce on Fridays, and then uh, at uh, at Crowbar we have music uh, four days a week. So where were you? Where was your happiness level going into this new restaurant compared to where you were at Pangea? On a scale from one to ten. On a scale to one to ten. Um, where were you with Pangea when you left? <laughs> You know, I, I I didn't leave on a bad note. You know, um, I'm not suggesting you did, but it, it sounds like you were. You know, you weren't happy. I can. That, that's a safe. Su- yeah, I, I think you know, I was done. I was was burnt out. I think you know, like uh, our so conversation like, uh, kind of earlier regarding that. It, it was definitely. I was, you know, like um, a five or four kind of exhausted and 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 done. Would you say like five four? Yeah. Okay. Where were you? Uh, with this new concept uh, with Bruce Bar and Kitchen, comparable. You know, I, I think, you know, coming in, uh, I was coming in hot, you know. You said you were excited just thinking about it earlier. You said you were getting excited, just the memory of it. So it sounds like you're upwards of an eight, nine, or 10. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you go into a, a new project and you're really, you know, trying to, to, not only impress your new clients and everything else, but also, you know, come out with something that people want to take and and, and come out to every week. Um, I'm curious. You know, you want them to. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. I cut you short. Uh, you know, you're as excited as, as as what the customer is as well. You know, when they're coming in, going, "Hey, what's going on this week?" You know, there's something there that uh, I think you know fires you up uh, as well. Would you say you had a better relationship with your clients, uh, your guests at this restaurant than you did prior? No, not at all. Okay, I, I think you know uh, like- I've been fairly. I've been really lucky to have actually uh, clients uh, who used to go to uh, Pangea in the city uh, that have cottages and, and chalets and that up here um, kind of come in and really love love the new restaurant and love the uh, kind of feel of it. Um, you know, the, Bruce is a really interesting mix of, uh, you know, you can be eating duck and your kid or your significant other or whoever uh, next to you could be eating pizza. Um, you know, it, it's got a really kind of interesting uh, feel that way is that we try to take and, uh, and give really well-made food uh, 
to a wide demographic of people. And we try to um, bring some amazing local products uh, to that kind of table every, uh, every week. So I'm curious, what was the turnover like at Bruce? Um, you know, I think turnover at Bruce has been up and down. We have, uh, we have years where, um, everybody feels like it's an itch, uh, and you see it uh, a little heavier. Um, and then, you know, uh, on the opposite side, we also have, uh, staff that have been with us for, uh, for two and three years. Um, so, you know, we kind of get, uh, we get a mix. It all depends on uh, on kind of where they're at and what they feel like uh, they can take from us as well. Okay. Uh, and we try to make sure that we offer them so as as, uh, as possible. That way, they they do want to stay and they do want to continue to uh, to grow with us. So, if there is one variable that you said most contributed to your happiness up to this point, uh, it would be the excitement from your guests. Is there any other variable that was different about this situation than the prior situation that that uh, contributed to your your greater uh, attitude? I think quality of life uh, is a big one. Um, you know, I think. Kitchens are notorious for uh, for taking an. Uh, I try to make sure you know we don't overwork anybody. Um, you know we're fortunate to uh, to live where we live. Um, that uh, we've never been to Georgian Bay or Blue Mountain. Um, it's a pretty special place. Uh, you know. It's not the biggest hill by any means. Um, you know, I, I love skiing out in Whistler. I love skiing uh, down in Vermont and uh, and getting out even uh, to the Kootenays and that type of thing uh, in Kelowna and, and that. But we've got the opportunity to have really a four-season playground in our backyard um, with Georgian Bay being kind of uh, right at the bottom of the hill. Um, you can ski in the wintertime. You can do cross-country snowshoe, uh, it, it, snowmobile, if that's what you're into, uh, kind of spring and fall, uh, great nature hikes, uh, rock climbing, uh, mountain biking. I'm picking up uh, where you're putting down. I'm picking up where um, you know, and the bay is right there as well for people who like to paddle, uh, whether it's, um, you know, on, uh, on stand-up paddle boards or uh, kayaks, canoeing, um, gotcha. water sports, fishing. Yeah. So, you know, trying to really make sure that uh, our staff have time to be able to um, to have downtime and to really get out and, and clear their heads and, and enjoy other things in life other than just walking through the kitchen door. So one, know, one other thing I want to hit before moving to this rerun, and I'm loving what you're giving us, Jeff. Uh, the, the one other thing. So you, you went and you opened Crowbar in Variety. Uh, what year was did that open up? Uh, we'll be a year... Uh, on July 9th. So almost a year. How did you know you were ready for a second location? Um, you know, I think we, we did it for a couple of reasons. One uh, of them being um, we needed to figure out a way to take and, and, and retain some more staff uh, as well and have some opportunities for them to extend and grow. Um, And then as well, um, 
just another uh, kind of revenue stream and, and offering something different. People really love the music aspect of Bruce on Friday nights. Um, the unfortunate part is, is that if we put music there every night, um, I think our dining guests might uh, might get a little perturbed, we'll say, um, because they lose that kind of dining aspect. Um, so with Crow, we uh, we built a, a full size stage. We put in you know uh, twenty thousand dollars in music equipment. We uh, we made it into a restaurant that is also a venue. Um, and by putting music over there four days a week, it was uh, it, it was something else that we could offer the community uh, in kind of the same vein, but a little different. You know, uh, the values haven't changed. We still take and uh, and make all of our food. I'd rather have people in the kitchen, uh, you know, taking and creating jobs and and producing some great quality yeah. product. Um, the, the one then, thing, the one thing I loved about that chef, the idea of you, it, you let your people determine your growth. When you have people on your team that are clearly, uh, going to grow beyond what you can provide them, you need to, you need to grow with them. You need to give them the opportunity or else you're going to go someplace else. You might as well, uh, provide that opportunity. Uh, was this vision your vision or, or, or was it one of your team members visions? Were you investing in what they wanted to do or was this what you wanted to do? I was curious. You know, uh, my business partner, Steve Vipond, um, hugely loves, uh, music and, and, uh, has always been a, uh, a huge kind of supporter of, of local, uh, artists, uh, and it's, specifically musicians. Um, and you know, he was like, we should take and do this. Uh, I think, you know, I've got a great space available. Um, it's, you know, in a, uh, in a century building again, it's got a great kind of brick wall. Uh, it's got a great feel to it. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's 250 condos getting built directly across the street from it. So, you know, we're kind of uh, going into some place that we're going to have built in and, uh, and it's like, I think, you know, live music, uh, uh, in Collingwood is go to the village, a niche experience, uh, and a local experience than what is out there currently. Um, so when we expanded, you know, it was also uh, kind of a, an opportunity there to to have some uh, as far as artists and uh, that as well. Awesome. So, any other things you want to hit on? Any nuggets you're hoping we would cover before we head over to the speed round and wrap this thing up? You know, I I think I should. Uh, it's probably a couple times through the interviews. Uh, you know, with some great, really focusing on Ontario product for us uh, is important and sustainable uh, product as well. You know, um, you know, we come to the table. 
uh, and make sure that you know the uh, the fish that we're using is all ocean wise approved, um, which is a, a program at Vancouver Aquarium uh, and that in Monterey Bay, um, and and then. Uh, you know, we're able to take and support the rest of our community um, through a purchase, uh, um, making sure that uh, from down, you know, if we don't need to, if it's available, um, then I think, you know, keeping that uh, kind of injected in the community is super important uh, to us. Um, knowing the fact that you know those farmers are going to take and, and receive that money and and hopefully they're the ones sitting uh, next to you at the table as well and, and i think that that's important too yeah I, I i can't uh agree more with you the the sense of you know keeping the money within the community and uh making it more than just the bottom line but making it about how can i how can i impact the lives of the people that my restaurant comes in contact with to the, the greatest degree. And I think that spreading that money, sharing that money, creating opportunity for others is the best way to do that. And by sourcing from your community, it's just an incredible way to, to kind of live that, that ethos. Uh, so 100% agree. Awesome stuff. Uh, all right, chef, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Here's a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, a fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this doesn't include losses in costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investors related to claims of harassment and discrimination. And I bet you didn't know that employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors or company representatives because they fear retaliation. With RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help you protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Again, that's restaurantethics.com. You ready? Let's do it. All right. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Fresh, local, and foraged. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Not saying no. (laughs) What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? What's your favorite thing to grow or eat at home? And what what are you looking for when you ask that? Something. uh, Tell me, you know, a dish that your grandmother made. Tell me, you know, something that uh, you woke up every morning that your mom put in front of you. Uh, What's that comfort food? Got it. Uh, What is your biggest challenge today? Uh, staffing. How are you overcoming that? Trying to create a environment in which people want to 
come and learn uh, and and develop. Okay. Is there a specific thing that you're doing to create that environment? Trying to take and uh, and cultivate opportunities uh, within the communities, uh, whether it's going out and uh, and meeting farmers, uh, taking and talking about product, uh, um, sitting down with staff and and you know trying to uh, incorporate their ideas uh, into menus and and really discuss how uh how something is broken down and and how it kind of correlates into uh service beautiful share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team this is a way to be a way to act a core value something of that nature i think you know going into a restaurant and realizing that we're all still cooks Mm. every day you know i think Nobody knows anything. Somebody has a different trick that maybe somebody hasn't seen before. Somebody, uh, a technique or, or maybe, uh, you know, something that their grandmother taught them. Um, you know, it's a constant place of learning. Uh, you know, I think uh, every instance and every ingredient can change every day. You know, um, there's a great kind of uh, segment where, Jacques Pepin goes through how to take him to uh, caramel pears. Uh, and, you know, in conversation with him years ago, uh, uh, taking it and, and talking about, you know, we, uh, we look at ingredients at every day they change, you know, the ripeness, the texture, how sweet, uh, you know, it's our jobs to, uh, to continue to learn from that and, and app to them as opposed to taking in something being hard stat. I love it. Um, share one un- uncommon standard of service that you teach your team. So this is something that is uh, standard within your four walls, not standard within the industry. I would hope that it would be uh, give everything as much respect as as you can. Um, you know, I think a burger uh, and a steak. You know, yes, they both come from uh, kind of the same animal, but if you give them equally as much respect, uh, you're hopefully going to have a uh, really outstanding product. Got it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Ooh. Um, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of them out there. Um, I think, you know, from a, uh, from purely, purely indulgent side, I'm going to say, you know, kitchen confidential from a, uh, from a business side, I think, you know, going in and, uh, and understanding, you know, business in an overall. Uh, so any business management book that you can kind of get your hands on, take it in and soak it up. Um, you know, the, the industry is kind of, uh, it's full of different nuances. And I think there's so many different facets to it. That oh, it's yeah. hard to really kind of nail one down. Absolutely. Uh, and K- Kitchen Confidential is 
on auto are, or is in audio. So head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. You can get that book for free if you are not an Audible member yet. Uh, share one technology you're leveraging within your four walls. Uh, this will help you with uh, communication, proficiency, uh, profitability, uh, anything that's, that you're leveraging in regards to technology. You know, I think communication uh, in the industry, especially when you have multiple locations, is super important. Um, you know, I think more often than not, we forget that, uh, you know, pretty much everybody has a, uh, a computer in their hand now. Um, and, and I think being able to take and use that to your advantage, whether that's, you know, uh, putting voice to text in recipes uh, as you're building them and developing those kind of uh, flavor profiles to say, Hey, okay, I added this much of this or this much of this into a recipe or, you know, uh, when you're doing tests and those types of things, it becomes super easy uh, and a really easy way to take and share uh, information. Um, and I think, you know, more often than not, if it's used properly, um, you can only take and benefit from it. You know, uh, it's not just for, uh, for social media. Um, and as important as that is, I think that there's, uh, you know, uh, much better ways to take and utilize, uh, smartphones, uh, within the kitchen and, and being able to document, uh, what you're doing. And, and that way it can be recreated, uh, time time again. I dig it. So this is the last question, Chef. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, uh, and basically everything that you put into these restaurants would be gone with your departure. Uh, what would three pieces of wisdom be? Three things you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would they be? Be be honest with yourself take and tread lightly on uh on your impact and uh i think you know if you're gonna do something be proud about it when you say tread lightly on your impact is that another way of saying be humble i think be humble and and as well you know um there's no point in, uh, in being harsh, you know, um, we can all, everybody has a fight. Nobody sees, I think tread lightly, you know, be, be kind and, and, and be respectful Love of, it. Uh, of ingredients, uh, of, you know, people and, uh, and definitely of, uh, of, you know, uh, you're it's in the universe. Chef, I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Uh, before we let you go, we got to find out how we can connect with you. So if we want to follow what you're doing, maybe come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Uh, you can always reach me uh, via email at Sean, so S-H-A-U-N, at BruceWeinbar.ca, uh, or find us on social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, or, uh, or Facebook uh, at BruceWeinbar.ca uh, and or Crowbar and Variety. Instagram is uh, Sean. Hello, please leave a message after the tone. Chef, you uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know if you can hear the voice machine going in the background right now. <laughs> it's almost done. Yelp. Those guys are aggressive. Right, Yelp.com is done leaving a voicemail. Um, uh, just go ahead. I apologize. I'm so sorry. You can reach me at Bruce Weinbar, uh, .ca, uh, follow the links, uh, or uh, social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, personally, uh, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at BruceWeinbar.ca. Chef Edmondstone, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your advice. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Thank you so much, Chef. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Sean Edmondstone, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story with us. I think the big takeaway for me, uh, there's three that I'll drop on here right now. The first one is uh, when you make those mistakes, you got to learn from them, obviously. But the big part that I took away from that part of the conversation was that your job as the manager, as the chef, as the owner is to make sure your people are learning, uh, break it down for them. Let them, let them make the mistake, uh, let them figure it out. Uh, but then walk them through it, coach them through it and make sure there's a lesson learned afterwards. I don't think enough of us do that. We just get mad and that's not the way, uh, the second big takeaway from today's conversation, uh, I think was the idea of, uh, when you go into a space, you know, it's, it's smart to start where you can scale into it, but ask yourself, what's the limit? How far can I scale? Because if you have the potential and you can and you can make something truly great, you don't want your space to limit your potential. So that's a great point there. And then also the the third thing, the the big takeaway I got from this conversation is just the quality of life. Uh, if you're not happy, if you're not enjoying it, then take a step back, reassess, uh, and create a situation for yourself that is ideal. You only get one shot at this sucker called life. Uh, make it a good shot. You know, enjoy yourself. And it sounds like Chef is enjoying himself today, and I'm glad to hear it. Uh, all right, guys. So I'm literally sitting inside this storage closet. I noticed you, that uh, the audio quality was a little rocky today, and I, I apologize. Um, I, but I do, do want to take this opportunity to thank Chef Jenny Peterson over at Paradox Pastry in Charlottesville. Um, she opened up her her space to me. She's a past guest on the show. Uh, if you search Jenny, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Peterson on Restaurant Stoppable, you'll be able to find uh, that episode if you want to check it out. But I literally, uh, I am <laughs> like in like just cozied up in this little corner uh, of the storage room and uh, I'm doing whatever it takes to, to bring these interviews to you uh, while I'm on the road. Uh, this one wasn't able to get recorded before hitting the road. So here we are today getting it done for you. And uh, like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what I can do to make your lives better. I'll get an expert on the show. We'll cover whatever topic you guys want covered. You got to reach out to me first, though. I need to know what your your pain points are. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. They help so much. Uh, but the best way to support this podcast is simply by sharing it. Help 
contribute to this mission of empowering, inspiring, and transforming our industry simply by sharing this sucker. And then lastly, if you guys want to schedule a chat with me, uh, you can head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 499. And in the show notes of this episode, you'll find a banner to schedule that one-on-one chat with me for an hour. Uh, I can brainstorm with you. I can I can hear your story, find out where you are at, maybe make some suggestions, help do some coaching for you. After almost 500 interviews with the most successful restaurateurs out there, I got a good idea of what it takes to make it. So I'm, I'm here to work for you guys. Uh, so set up that one-on-one chat. All right. That's all for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.